Okay, if you'd like to draw your conversation to a close. Well, it's uh, brilliant to be here this morning. Just to say I was um, late, not just because I slept in. Um, I was uh, down at um, the university meeting some new students. It's great to have some of our students back amongst us. Um, and um, brilliant to be meeting new students as well. So um, over the coming weeks, it's great to welcome our students back, also be on the lookout for new students, praying for them, um, also offering friendship and, importantly, food. Food is always good for, for students. So uh, it's brilliant to have them uh, amongst us. Okay, we're going to start with a challenge, um, and you're going to be in two teams. This team, um, captained by Rich. Um, this team, captained by Rob. Um, so what we're going to do um, is I'm going to show you a bit of a famous speech, and I'm going to be looking for who gave the speech and when they gave it. So just so we're clear, I'm going to read the whole passage of, of the speech, and then I'm going to be looking for the first response, okay? So no calling out. You have to control yourself. Team captains, I want you to control your teams, okay? <laughs> okay, are we ready? So, first one. I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war and outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. Okay, hands up. Okay, one point for the, the, the name of the person who gave it, and one point for um, the date. So, Phil. Winston Churchill, one point. Okay, do you know the date? I'll, I'll go for whatever you've got. If you know the date today, that's brilliant. 25th of September today, fantastic. Well done, well done Phil. Uh, the date which the speech was given, do you know? Okay, I'm going to open that up again for, for another point. 1941, no. Not 44, not 42, no. Not 39, 43, no. Cliff? It was somewhere between 39 and 45. We've had most options apart from the correct one. Becky? Not 1945, no? Matt, yes, 1940. Two points to this team. Um, if you want to be very specific, it's the, it was the 4th of June, 1940. Um, and so you'll be familiar with the speech. It goes on. It says, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. Um, interesting, it doesn't say we shall fight them on the beaches. It just says we shall fight on the beaches. There you go. You can correct people if you like. So, okay, fingers on buzzers. Um, this, ne this is the next one. Go back to Mississippi, go back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. Okay, go. We're going over here. Martin Luther King, very good, for one point. Uh, an extra point if you can tell me the date. 1963, very good. Um, you can steal a bonus point if you give me the day and the month. 
No, no one going for that. It's the 28th of August, 1963. Uh, and... The more familiar bit uh, is, goes on to say, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Okay, and then lastly, we're thrillingly poised, two points each. Who'd have thought? Um, last one. Okay, this morning I have just chaired a meeting of the cabinet in which I updated them on the special status we have secured for Britain. Rich, put your hand down. I haven't said go yet, Les. It's got to be fair for everyone. Yeah, it's been the same each time. I saw his hand creeping up as I was reading. Okay, go. Go on, Rich. David Cameron. David Cameron, it is. For one point. Um, for another point, when was it given? June the 24th. And which year? No, it was the 20th of February of this year. So he goes on to say, uh, three years ago I committed to the British people that I would renegotiate our position in the European Union and hold an in-out referendum. Now I'm delivering on that commitment. So this is when David Cameron announced the referendum that was going to be taking place in June. So at the end of that round, um, we can declare this team the winner. Why don't you give them a shit? Well done. You look like happy losers. Okay, so you may have seen this morning we are going to be looking at how words matter. Um, we've seen that these words, just uh, a brief sample, for how they've had huge impact on nations, one in the midst of a World War II, and these words really carried the British people forwards. Uh, the other one, Martin Luther King, for those fighting racism in America, these are very significant words and a real turning point. And this last quote, has had major impact on this country, not least for, for David Cameron and his uh, political aspirations, but also for our country and the major players in all political parties. So this morning, we're looking at the third in our series on the New Testament book of James. Um, so if you'd like to turn in the Bibles to uh, James chapter 3, we're on page 717 in the, in the church Bibles. The title for this series is Monday Morning Christianity, and we're looking at how do we live as Christians in everyday life? How can we honor God on Monday morning just as we do, as much as we do on Sunday mornings? And today there's particular focus on how we speak. So we're on, in James chapter 3, we're starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put, into the, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whether the, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning to hear your word. Just as we've seen the impact of these words on nations, on attitudes, Lord, we we pray that your words would have impact into our hearts this morning. I thank you that you choose to speak to us, to reveal yourself to us. And I pray this morning that we would have hearts to listen and that we'll be responding to you in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at Words Matter, and Sam Albury has written a very helpful book on the, the book of James. Those of you who did the, the James sessions in our School of Life series earlier on in the summer will be familiar with this book. Uh, and in it, he says this. He says, Our tongues need to be set alight, not from below by hell, but from above by God himself. Our tongues need to be set alight, not from below by hell, but from above by God himself. We'll be seeing this morning that the tongue has immense power. But the question is, how are we going to use it? And Sam Albury here is quoting from James uh, 3, verse 6, where we've just read. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And reading these words, we can think, isn't, isn't James being a bit overdramatic? Isn't he using exaggeration here to make his point? How can the things that we say to people we meet at the shops or to colleagues at work or things that we say to our neighbours or family members, how can that be so important? A world of unrighteousness, is that true? Set on fire by hell, you sure? Well, to understand the strength of this statement, we need to first understand the power of the tongue. And that's what James helps us to do. He uses three images to show the the real power of what we say. The first image um, that he uses is in verse 3 of a horse. Um, It says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And uh, if you've ever come anywhere near a horse, uh, you realize how much power there is. Um, Over the summer, we, um, we took the kids pony riding while we were away, and there's a lot of power in a relatively small animal. You think, if it, if it didn't want to move, there's no way in making it move. But if you are um, uh, alongside a, a massive horse, you know that there's no way of getting it to do what it doesn't want to do. There is real power um, in a horse if you, if you see them up close. And yet, it is controlled by just a small piece of metal. The bit in its mouth controls the whole horse. The bit is small, but incredibly powerful, and exerts a disproportionate influence on the whole horse. So James first used this image, 
Uh, secondly, he used the image of a ship. Um, verse 4 says, Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pirates... The pirate? Could be a pirate. <laughs> or the pilot um, directs. So ships are, are massive, but they're controlled by a small rudder. Anyone, um, for a bonus point, um, anyone know which ship this is? It's an aircraft carrier. Yes, very good. The USS Eisenhower. Um, these guys are now two points in the lead, just so you know. Uh, so this is the USS Eisenhower. Um, it is 95,000 tons in weight. It's nearly 1,100 feet long. It carries over 6,100 people, 100 aircraft, and yet it's steered by a rudder that is uh, a tenth of 1% of the size of the ship. In terms of uh, proportion, the, the rudder is... is it's minuscule in comparison to the size of the ship and all um, it can do. The effect of the tongue is out of proportion to its size. And then the, the last image in um, verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Then it says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. One small spark starts an inferno. Recently, um, we had the 350th commemoration of the Great Fire of London, a, a massive impact started by a, a small fire at Baker's in, in Pudding Lane, and yet it had massive impact across the city of London. The image James Heeser uses here is that of a, a forest fire. Huge devastation can come from just one small fire as it spreads. So we can be thinking here this morning, can I really be making a difference? James is saying that what we say carries immense power, but we often think, what difference can, can we make? In normal, everyday life, how much impact can someone like me really produce? Or again, Sam Albury says in his book, we can speak with a bit of innuendo, a harsh word to our parents or spouse, sniping to take someone down, gossip juicily passed on, a dash of, dash of exaggeration as we recount something to others. And to us, it can seem harmless, but a small spark can have a big impact on careers, on marriages, on conflicts, on self-image. And we know the, the impact of what others have said to us. And many of us will still carry the scars of what people have said maybe many, many years ago that have cut right deep inside of us. We know the power that it has on us, and we need to know that the power we have to influence on others as well. So it's important to realize that there is real power in how you speak, not least in how you speak to yourself. Just think for a moment, what words do you say to yourself? Is it, is it true? Is it helpful? Because often we can be our own worst enemy. We can be our own worst critic. We can constantly be putting ourselves down. What do you say to yourself on a Monday morning? When you're, you're tired, when um, you really don't feel like doing anything, what do you say to yourself? George Muller, who's famously worked with orphans in Bristol in the 19th century, says, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day 
is to have my soul happy in the Lord. First great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. He encourages us, us to stay with the psalmist, bless the Lord on my soul. And sometimes on, on Monday mornings, we really do have to be speaking that to ourselves. Bless the Lord on my soul. You, you really don't feel like it. We can be, some of you may be morning, morning people and you may jump out of bed and happily say, good morning, Lord. Um, any morning people? Oh, a few. That's good. Um, um, other people may be on the other side. You really don't want to get out of bed. You're not, you don't jump out and say, good morning, Lord. You're more of the one who hides under the covers and say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> I'm guessing the, ma- the, the majority of us here are, are more of the, of, the, of the latter category, that we don't spring out of bed with joy in the morning. So it's so important that we do speak to ourselves well and we speak truth to us. To say with uh, the Apostle John, I'm a dearly loved child of God. This is who I am. This is my identity today. So what we say to ourselves holds great power. What we say to others is also so important. Do we bring people down or do we lift people up? Do people usually feel better after being with us or, or do they feel worse? It's important to consider these things. And lastly, what do we say to God? Because prayer is hugely powerful, and yet it's a a great mystery. We speak, and God acts. The power of of God's words we know is huge. Genesis 1 verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1 continues in this pattern. And God said, and God said, and God said. And it happened. There was power in God's words. And God invites us to call on him. He invites us to call on the one who has all power and authority. And so if you're wondering if if your words matter, if you're wondering if you really do have any power, then we can pray. And we call on the God who can do all things. It may be in this season of your life you have time to pray. And this is one of the most important things that we can be doing. You can have real impact today and this week in our prayer lives. So I want us to notice something about each of these three pictures. The bit controls the horse, the rudder controls the ship, the spark causes the fire. In each of these things, there's someone who has control. The rider has control of the bit. The helmsman controls the rudder. Usually a human has caused the spark. So this is scary. The tongue has great power, but next I want us to explore who is in control. Who is in control of our tongues. Um, let's turn back to our passage, um, read chapter 3, verse 7. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, restless evil full of deadly poison. So we can tame, well, when I say we, people have, I'm not saying that we in this room have tamed lions, tigers, bears, eagles, whales. It, it does happen. I don't know how you go about taming um, some of those animals, and I don't really want to put myself forward for it. But each of these wild animals have been tamed. They're saying you can't, can't tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament agrees. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. 
So the more we speak, there's more sin. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. How many people have you met this week whose mouth invites a beating? So we could be thinking, should we then just not talk? If the mouth causes this much problem, should we just say nothing? Um, the American pastor Bill Hybels has put it like this, uh, a helpful graph. So if this represents the number of conversations that you have this week, uh, say you have 300 conversations and you lie five times, your ratio of um, truth to lies, uh, well, 300 to five. Um, I'm not a statistician, does that work? Anyway, speak 300 times, lie five times. Um, if you want to reduce your lies, keep the same proportion, only have 200 conversations, and then you will lie only 3.3 times in during the week. If you only have 60 conversations, you'll lie only once. So the secret for everyone in this room is to only have 59 conversations, <laughs> because then you're not going to lie at all, assuming this ratio is correct. So is this what we're supposed to be doing? Well, there is truth that if we speak less, we will lie less. But is this all there is? Well, James starts our passage with a warning. It says, be careful if you want to be a teacher, because as a teacher, you will use many words. And knowing that we all stumble with words, if you talk more, you're more likely to stumble more. James says this earlier on in his book, uh, James 1 verse 19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And how often do we get this the other, other way around? We are quick to speak and slow to hear. So important for us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. James goes on to say, if we do not stumble in this way, we are, we're perfect. And so the goal is, is maturity. There's not, he's not setting up an expectation that we will um, be perfect in every single thing that we say, because only Jesus was able to do that. But he's looking for a maturity, similar to what he says in one verse, chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the aim here is not that we never say anything wrong, but we're aiming for maturity in how we speak. Because when you're young, you say anything and everything that comes to your mind. You only need to be responsible for a small child on a bus to know that this is true. Uh, as soon as someone comes along that looks slightly out of the ordinary, the child will immediately, in some way, project their voice um, and say, why does that person look like that? Why is that person doing this? And you try to have a, a, a hushed, whispered conversation uh, and say, let's talk about it later on. Because when you're, when you're not mature, you just say whatever comes into your head and it leads us into, into trouble. So we're to ask, who is in control of our tongues and of our lives? The most important thing that we can do is to give our lives to Jesus, to put him in full control of our tongues and of our lives. I think it's, it's true to say if we only look at the evidence of what we've said, even in the past week, we know that we all fall short of God's standard. We all need some help. It says in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
this is the very best thing that we can do with our mouths, to call on Jesus, to repent for the things that we've said, for the hurt that we've caused. And maybe some things this morning are coming to your mind saying, I really wish I hadn't said that. We can confess before God. It may be that you need to apologize to someone else and say, I'm really sorry for how I said that. It may be that some things that other people have said to you have are really growing, uh, remaining in your heart, and there may be pain and, and bitterness. We can see just as we have been forgiven much, we are also to forgive. It's not saying that it didn't hurt. It's not saying that it didn't matter. But it's us choosing not to hold on to bitterness, knowing that we can bring all these things to God. We can confess for the things that we've done, the things that we've said, and confess Jesus is Lord. I want you to be in full control of my life and of my tongue. The final thing I want us to, to look at this morning is to, to notice the link between our hearts and what we speak. I just want to read, remind us of verse 9 to 11. It says of the tongue, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Saying here that the source will always produce fruit that is consistent with, with what is inside. The product is always consistent. Saying you don't get fresh and salt water from the sp same spring. It doesn't make sense. A fig tree won't produce olives. If you want to know what someone is, is really like, spend time listening to them talk. It will reveal what they think is important. It will reveal their character. Jesus says in, Romans tw uh, sorry, in Matthew 12, verse 34, for out of the abundance or overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. And this is actually quite scary for us because if we are um, surprised sometimes at what comes out of our mouths or nearly comes out of our mouths, this really shows what is going on in our hearts. Just as a one stream, uh, one source shouldn't produce pure and salt water. Our pure heart shouldn't produce false and bitter speech. And yet in our own lives, we can see that we are worshipping God one minute and then criticizing someone the next. We can be in all our hearts saying, how great is our God? And then you can look across and think, what were they thinking when they got dressed this morning? careful not to look at anyone at that point when I said that. We need God at work in our hearts because we don't have a hope in controlling our tongues if our hearts are far, far from him. So let me ask you this morning, where is your heart? Is it sold out for God, enjoying him, submitted to him? Or is it hard? Is it cynical? Or is it genuinely questioning, God, I, I don't know, really know what to make of all of this? If you're not sure, 
Again, look at your mouth. Look at what you're saying. What do you say, about, say to yourself, to others, to God? And if you want to tame your tongue this morning, I encourage you to pray. If you want Monday mornings to go well, start them with prayer. If you want a church here to grow and thrive, then we pray. A while back, we did a series on prayer, and we recommended a, a book by Tim Keller, which I'd love to recommend uh, again. Really ha- easy to remember. The, the book's called Prayer. Um, and if you want to enjoy prayer, I'd really recommend um, getting hold of it. And in that, he recounts a couple of people's encounters with God. First of all, um, Blaise Pascal, who was a Christian believer and philosopher, and one of the great minds of history. He says, uh, Tim Keller says this, when he died, it was discovered that he had sewn into the inner lining of his coat the description of an experience he had one night. It read, um, in the first year of grace, 1654, on Monday the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. Pascal now knew in his heart what he knew in the abstract. He spent two hours experiencing the power and presence of God. Not just a head knowledge, but an experience. Fire, joy, peace, certitude. Do you know this, or would you like to know God in this way? Another example is D.L. Moody, who's a prominent Chicago minister uh, and an evangelist in the 19th century. He wrote this. One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it as almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Tim Keller says, it wasn't that Moody wasn't a Christian or that he had never known Christ's love and and presence. Perhaps we could say that the objective reality of he who was in Christ and the inward subject experience came together. For a moment, he lived as the person he actually was. And then later, we notice the difference to Moody's life. It says, a few months later, in 1873, he planned a preaching trip to the British Isles. Moody began to preach, and something had changed. The sermons were not different, he noted. I didn't present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience in New York. If you should give me all the world, it would be the small dust of the balance. So Moody's life and ministry have been transformed. And we're to be a people whose hearts are gripped by the glory of God, and set ablaze to tell others about him. If we want to uh, see our mouths transformed, our hearts need to be gripped by God. So let me ask you, do you want to carry on this week, Monday morning? Do you want to carry on in your own strength? Or do you want to live in the power of God? Do you want to just go through emotions or live in a vibrant relationship with him? Just think for a moment, do you look forward to spending time with God every day, or does it feel like a chore? Do you delight in serving? 
Do you look forward to getting into the life groups and community that was mentioned earlier on? Or do you do these things because you know that you should, but actually there's, there's not really joy there? This morning is hopefully a, a wake-up call and a pointing to the fact that there is more than this. There'll be an opportunity to give more to this on Wednesday night um, and to enjoy God together and look for him to get hold of our hearts. It's important to see that we're, we're not to be driven just by feelings. There'll be times when we're rowing rather than sailing. But God puts in our hearts a longing for more, a longing for him, a longing to encounter him day by day, a longing for vibrance in everyday life. And so there's an encouragement here that if it is hard, it is tough, you don't feel that God's life inside of you, then I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to be here on Wednesday. I encourage you to be part of that community together in life group. I encourage you to spend time with God to dig into his word. It says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We're to spend time with We're to surrender to God and say, God, take all of my life. That is such a scary prayer to pray, but it's one of the best ones you can. Saying, God, take all of me. And it's important in all of this. It does take effort. It does take intentionality, putting yourself in the right places at the right times. But we're to know that it is a work of grace. And grace is a gift. Just as we saw last week, that that works are a result of faith, not a way to earn merit. How we speak and how we live are to be a response to what we've received from God. We cannot transform our tongues by ourselves or our hearts on our own. It has to be a work of God. Ephesians 2 says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. In Ezekiel it says, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is about God's initiative to us. He spoke and the world was created. Jesus came while we were lost. Our choice is to turn to him. To say sorry for how we walked our own way. To say thank you to Jesus for giving his life for us. And to say, please, please Lord, won't you take control of my life? And this might be the first time that you've said those three words, sorry, thank you, please. Or you may have said them many times before. This is such an important step for us to respond to God. So as we uh, come to a close, we've seen today that words matter and that by ourselves we have no hope. Our hearts and our tongues are far from God. But to know that we have an incredible God. It says in Ephesians 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of work within us, to him be the glory in, Christ, in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What is impossible for us is glor- gloriously possible in God. He has great purposes for us, for the church, for his kingdom to extend and to display his glory. So our hearts, our minds, our words are to be primarily directed towards him. 
Just remember that, that quote we started with at the beginning, our tongues, uh, from Sam Albury, our tongues need to be set alight, not from below by hell, but from above by God himself. So let's pray this morning that God sets our hearts and our mouths alight for his glory. Let's start with the most powerful and dangerous words. Jesus is Lord. These three words completely transform your life, the way you speak, your priorities, your Monday mornings. And so the question for us, will you give your life totally for Christ and say, Jesus, have all of me? Let's respond in prayer. Can I invite you to stand? Uh, let's pray. Lord, we have seen this morning the immense power of words. They have power to, to do good and they have power to destroy. Lord, I thank you that you are stronger than anything else that we can imagine. You are stronger than a horse at full tilt. You are stronger than vast ships in the ocean. You are stronger than forest fires that spread. And Lord, I pray that across this room we will be submitting now to you. Say, Jesus is Lord. I'm just going to um, pray that, that prayer of the, the sorry, thank you, please. If you want to have an opportunity to give your life to God, maybe for the first time or afresh, if you want God to have all of you, I encourage you just to pray it in your heart um, after me. Lord God, I'm sorry for the things that I have done wrong. I'm sorry for the words that I have spoken, for the things that I have done. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for me. You died on a cross to take the punishment for my sins. Now please, won't you have full control in my life? I say Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen.